Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Legg and Bryn Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Welcome back to the Reconstructed Faith Podcast. My name is Colson Lechner, joined as always by my partners in crime, Bryn Starnes and Chris Legg. And today we have a special guest um, here for an interview. And I'm going to actually throw it over to Chris Legg to introduce That's our right. guest. A man um, who I respect more than almost anybody else I know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Very special wow. guest. A great... That is high and, uh, An excellent <laughs> thinker. And uh, and someone who I'm super proud of. It's my eldest son, Mark Leg. And uh, what's what's wild about this is Mark isn't someone who we're having on the podcast because he's my son. We're having him on the podcast because of of the kind of uh, thinker that he is, and and his own story. And um, he's not so famous yet that we can't get him. Yeah. That's really what it comes down to. And in another five years, we probably wouldn't be able to afford so, yeah, him. So we're getting you now. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, he is a philosopher by training and uh, a writer and by trade and all the other stuff that he does as well. And uh, he and I've gotten to team teach some stuff together. And uh, anyway, he has, and this is, this is not, knew his insight and input and asking hard questions and, and thinking deeply about things has been something he's done since before he can remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yep. um, I remember a, a quick story of years ago of him saying he wanted to be a missionary someday and he wanted to, you know, tell people about Jesus and he wanted them to to understand the truth of all that. And I said, uh, well, that sounds really sweet, buddy. What, uh, uh, where do you think you'll go to do that? And as I don't know how old, somewhere between seven and 10, he said, oh, I figure by the time I'm a grown up, it'll be here. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, like, man. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, I, get, I, I think you may be right. Um, Very so, insightful. <laughs> insightful child. That's right. And so um, anyway, so Mark. I, I, Mark has told me a little bit. I'm actually hoping to learn some new stuff today um, from Mark because Mark have had, Mark and I've had lots of conversations, and he shared with me a little about his own kind of walk through the conversation of of deconstruction and uh, and what that means. And um, I thought it'd be awesome for people to get to hear. We're trying to find some uh, some people who could share these stories. Mm-hmm. Um, who would be great. And I knew enough about Mark's to know that I think his would be valuable to our listeners yeah. as well uh, as we as we just keep up with it. So beyond that, I'll turn it over to you, Mark, to introduce yourself as far as other stuff. I know you're with uh, Dennison Forum. We've had Jim Dennison. Dennison Ministries, and Jim Dennison has been a guest of ours um, on the podcast. And so um, anyway, so let me throw it over to you, Mark, and tell us a little bit more about yourself. And uh, he's also an expert on marriage, by the way. I forgot to comment on that. <laughs> Because he's yeah, been married definitely. now. I've spent uh, eight months studying it uh, <laughs> in very close detail. <laughs> like method nice. acting. He's he's studying method it acting. as it's happening. That's right. Mm-hmm. On the job training. Nice. Yes. Uh, well, wow. Thank you for that. Um, I will comment. All those things are true. And it's true in no small part, mostly, I would say, actually, to the kind of conversations that we had as a family and continue to have the very open discussions uh, that you and I would have, the whole family would have um, just out in the open about these topics, very, very deep things that would, you know, range from politics to family to different values and philosophy and theology and all the deepest questions it makes sense that you're doing this podcast now because I think it's so incredible to do all those things out in the open. Um, and it's, it's only been since I've been in college really that I've realized how rare that kind of thing is in families. Like it kind of blew my mind when, you know, you go to a family dinner and we, if you go to someone else's family dinner, they wouldn't get into in a deep theological discussion about some <laughs> Greek word in the New Testament about this passage and implications it has for politics or something wild like that. Like that was the norm for me growing up. So it's it's no wonder I think um, that I was reading. I'd been inspired 
much longer before this, but I think I was reading Plato's Republic um, when I realized in high school that I wanted to be a professor of philosophy. And I've been set on that goal ever since. Mm-hmm. One of the, um, there's a couple of driving factors for that for me personally. The first one is just innate curiosity. Like it's so fascinating to read that book, to kind of dive into it. And uh, I think I will never be, my curiosity will never be satiated. And I realized mm-hmm. philosophy is the best way to channel that energy. And the mm-hmm. second is I think of kind of going back to what you said of long time ago when I talked about a missionary field, I think I see that the academic world is a super dark place spiritually. And it really stands out when academics or when scientists or people who are influential, like philosophers, uh, are able to say, I'm a really, I'm an expert in this field. I'm excellent at what I do. Mm -hmm. And I'm also a Christian Mm-hmm. And let me talk about why a really rational person could believe yeah. in this kind of thing. Um, and I think the fact that we have had that in the past few decades has shown, like, even though academia remains a dark place and in some ways is getting darker, at the same time, you see this really strong resistance to atheism in, yeah. in young people. And I mm-hmm. think that's because it's kind of crumbling underneath its own weight, so to speak. Um, anyway, so I went to the Dallas Baptist got my degree in biblical studies and philosophy, and then uh, have been working at Denison Forum since I graduated in uh, 2021. Uh, yep. Uh, and I've been working as the associate editor there, doing writing, researching, some other admin stuff, and then, which I've really loved, and then I'm going to uh, Edinburgh, Scotland uh, to do my master's of science in philosophy. So that's the track the course so far sounds pretty awesome it's exciting it? yeah it's really, really exciting awesome um can i can i ask you a quick question mark yep. so you're talking about this um kind of an innate curiosity it kind of reminds me uh chris of some of your story in how you grew up having yeah. a lot of questions yep and then digging into those questions mark can you Tell us a little bit about how that curiosity um, has played into your faith or maybe how that has been uh, maybe not a stumbling block, but or, or that, I guess that's a question is like, I feel like sometimes mm. curiosity can be like, I'm going to explore all these other things um, and then leave, leave the faith that I was brought up in um, for some sort of open-mindedness. Um, sure. W- but now, I mean, you're, how old are you now? 23. You know, you're yep. 23, you're, you're pursuing philosophy, but you're also grounded in your faith and that is your own. And so I'm curious how that curiosity has kind of affected that walk. Yeah, that's a great question. Cause I think it's one that, um, so I will start by saying that my curiosity is beyond even what, so dad, you've uh, been probably one of the most gifted teachers, probably well, the most gifted teacher I've ever sat under. Um, and Thank you. I think that there is a certain level of curiosity to the truth that you have that maybe let's just say for, for most people listening, they probably think that my dad's curiosity is like, or his search for truth is probably in the top like 1% of like any given person. It's almost obsessive in their minds. Like, this is weird. Why is he so (laughs) deep about stuff? Okay. But growing up, I was like, why my, one of my main things that stuck with me was like, why is my dad not going even deeper? Mm -hmm. So if you just think about my dad's depth and Mm -hmm. comparing Mm -hmm. it to my own, and I had like this drive to be like, that's not nearly deep enough into these questions. (laughs) And that's, probably wild to hear for some people, but I think that can be like anything, an idol. Um, I also have this really bad case of perfectionism that I'm trying to have been trying to get rid of for a long time. Um, and the Lord has been working on that for years, but so that combined combined with like a, a career in something that it is known is basically impossible to find answers in like asking the hardest questions that I might never get resolved to 
is mm -hmm. a tough thing. And it can lead you down some weird paths, some paths of questioning your faith. Um, and I know what you guys have talked about. I think for me, the best ideas win. Mm. And so I found <laughs> that <clears throat> like there are always, so there's two, like one is there's two levels. One is a technical problems with things, I would say that are really difficult to solve. And you could probably spend a whole lifetime of, of study academically in that field, trying to solve that question. Mm -hmm. That could be theology or a translation question of Greek or Hebrew or something like that. Okay. And those are important and those are interesting. And that's kind of actually what I want to get into for philosophy. At the same time, there are like the big broad level ideas that you have to live by in life and you're living by something in life. Uh, you have to live according to certain assumptions. You know, even if you are an agnostic and the most open-minded person, like you're still living according to a certain set of assumptions. So uh, I don't know to what degree this is helpful, but uh, Descartes was a French philosopher that you might've heard of. He's really like, he, I think therefore I am. That's what he's known for. Mm -hmm. He was a Christian and he talks about uh, when he cast skepticism on all of his beliefs, uh, he, he talks about setting up a little cabin of his Christian faith for which he lives in while he deconstructs all of his other beliefs almost. Mm -hmm. So basically he asks like, oh, I have to, I'm, I'm trying to be skeptical of everything, but I have to live according to something. So what I'm going to live according to is Christian, uh, as though Christianity were true while I'm being skeptical. And I don't, I don't think that's where I'm at, but it is kind of a fun imagery of a famous philosopher to say, even when I'm casting doubt on everything, I still live according to my faith. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say that what I've come to is if you get lost in the weeds, uh, you're going to just end up not following anything and kind of drifting. Um, and I've also found that there is, it, it's, it feels almost cliche, but there is, well, it is cliche, but it's true. There is a personal connection with Jesus that I have that transcends the technical questions <clears throat> that to me are undeniable. So um, an example of this, and I don't want to get too deep right now, Mm -hmm. <laughs> but here we go. So there is a problem in philosophy where you ask, basically, do other people have minds? Okay, so I'm sitting, you know, uh, digitally, I'm, I'm sitting across from Colson and Bryn and my dad. And there's a question of, well, they seem to have minds. They seem to have an idea of themselves and a personality. And you know, they're talking to me and they have ideas and thoughts. But there is a question of how can you know if that's true or not? Mm -hmm. right. How can you be certain right. that that's true? Okay, so we could go down that rabbit hole, but we probably don't want to right now. The point is, there are some things you can't be philosophically certain about, which you guys have talked about. Uh -huh. There's this kind of false expectation of 100% certainty. Mm -hmm. um, right. But... <clears throat> I know that, like, you can almost think if, let's say that you told me there was a guy named Bob who lived in Japan and had lived there for 30 years, and he was a really, like, nice guy. Uh, he was really jovial, in fact. Okay, well, you saying that to me, I will like, oh, okay, maybe Bob lives in Japan. But I'm not as certain about who he is, what he's like, whether he actually does, or if you just invented him, because I don't have a personal relationship with him. Right. Um, but I know, you know, Chris Legg, I know him really well. I've known him for decades, you know, I would say ever since I was born, literally. And so like, and I, so there's this level of certainty where like, I'm certain about Jesus being alive and risen from the dead and being real because I talk with them every day because I've had um, experiences where he has been as present to me as anyone sitting in front of me. Like, I don't experience that all the time, 
but I know it's true and I've had spiritual experiences where that has been evidently the case. So there's this kind of feeling of, yes, all the technical questions are important and yes, the big level discussions in philosophy are important, um, just like it is for theology. Um, but, you know, theologians will debate these. It's kind of like the, uh, the saying that if you get 10 rabbis or 10 Jewish scholars in a room, you're going to have 11 different opinions about one thing. Right, right. <laughs> you know? um, and so I just recognize there's this kind of, this phrase I've heard called epistemic humility, um, which is basically just like, hey, we can't be certain about everything, so be open to everything. But that doesn't mean you have to abandon what you know to be true. Mm, um, that's good. Right. But, I mean, you know, as like weird as it says sounds to say this, there, of course, as you guys have said, like, if you don't have 100% certainty, which I don't think we can have of anything, mm -hmm. then there is a small percent chance that Jesus isn't real, that Christianity is all bunk. Um, and I think that's really scary to some, but mm -hmm. it's not as well, scary to me, I don't think, you know. Mark, you're going to have to check out. I, I just, I think I just finished it writing the article. It'll probably be a six or seven part article. Because mm -hmm. we had, like in three different times in the same week, I got involved yeah. in a debate over can we know things. Mm -hmm. And so this is a this is a really hot topic right now. Like people are really, mm -hmm. like everywhere I'm showing up, this conversation, which is fascinating. I mean, this is an ancient epistemological conversation, and we're having it again. Mm -hmm. um, but... Uh, so I wrote a lengthy article, and I'll be interested to see what you think about it. I probably sent it to you before to edit it <laughs> to make sure I'm not. But because I write, I think there are three answers. I think there's a philosophical answer, a psychological answer, and a theological mm -hmm. answer. Um, and uh, anyway, I'll just I'll just be interested to see. Though, though you should be able to see those at chrismleg.com yeah. before too long. Okay. Um, but I'm I am really interested. So given that. Mark, I remember you mentioned to me there was a time recently, I don't know how recent, where mm -hmm. where the the kind of the biggest wrestling match maybe I'm assuming that you've had with your faith personally was in looking at all of these brilliant people you're studying, people who are alive today, people who were alive, you know, 1400 years ago um uh, or 2400 years ago. And mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. that somehow that was a some that 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 really affected at some point your your opinion or your views or something about your faith and so i i i think that's something that a lot of people today are wrestling with that they're going you know neil degrasse tyson's making a big deal about that something like only 8% of the highest trained hard science professors in the world are christians Mm -hmm. Um, I, which I don't even know if that's accurate, but he's, he's I, and I don't know if that's the right yeah, number, but yeah. he's saying some of these things like, or, sure. <clears throat> you know, the great, some of the greatest philosophers or that in modern day, the, you know, the, the, um, Jordan Peterson's are agnostic, yes. like, right. well, they're so brilliant. Who am I to say they're wrong? Anyway, I don't know if I've, cause I don't know that I've ever gotten to hear you unpack really the whole, mm. the whole picture there. So. I'd love to. I'd love to get your thoughts there. What was that like for you? Where did you yeah. experience that? There's a lot unpacked there, obviously. But one for me, I remember this is, uh, yeah, personally, one of my favorite thinkers for a while was Friedrich Nietzsche, who's famous for saying, "God is dead, and we have killed him." Mm -hmm. And um, he was a atheist and an existentialist thinker in the, you know, 1800s. Okay. So <clears throat> I remember reading about his life and though mentally he's kind of this, he wields words like kind of a, I don't know, like a sword. It's like incredible. His writing and what he thinks is just fascinating and really deeply uh, moving. Yeah. But um, I remember reading about his life and how he was kind of a shut-in and he probably suffered from different mental illnesses. It's supposedly he died from Sisyphus uh, when he was, you know, like in his 50s or something. Or Did you say syphilis? Even, uh, syphilis, yes. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. And um, so 
basically reading about his life and how he was a bit of a loser, basically, uh, even though he was brilliant, and reading about a lot of geniuses and how their lives are wrecks. Mm. Yeah. So that says nothing technically about the truth of their arguments. That would be kind of an ad hominem attack. Right. To say that Ex- explain that real because- quick. Yeah, what is so, ad hominem? It means against the man. So if you have an argument um, with someone and you say, well, you smell bad, so your argument's wrong. Okay, that's an ad hominem fallacy. It has nothing to do with whether they're right or wrong. Right. I mean, even if I... So, Dad, you've talked about um, your... Uh, early on, your marriage counselor, your earliest marriage counselor right. had an affair. Yeah. Uh, he gave great marriage counseling advice, according to you. Yeah. Um, and then he had an affair and his wife. So basically, the idea is just because someone, you know, is a loser doesn't mean that their ideas are bad. <laughs> okay. But at the same time, there is this idea of best ideas winning. Right. I think you can still track with people's lives. Like, there is an ex- there is a limit to that. Like. David, the psalmist, had this, and, and King of Israel had this, like, what seemed to be bouts of this depression that he had that he talks about in the Psalms. Yeah. Um, and so just because, I don't know, like, Christianity is made up of a lot of losers, and that's kind <laughs> of the point. Um, but I would just say that there is a, a kind of litmus test where it's like, okay, but are you really living out by your ideals? Does that really work in life? Can you test this in your life, and this is how it could go wrong? Um, so that's one thing as I just remember this like revelation of like, oh, this, these guys have great ideas, but that doesn't mean that they live well. Mm-hmm. So if I want to learn how to live well, I shouldn't necessarily follow what they have to say. That's one thing. Second thing is these geniuses disagree with one another. So that should tell you something about IQ, um, and even writing ability or argumentation doesn't you know, it does have a tie to truth, but it doesn't, um, like humans will always be wrestling with these questions. I'll just put it that way. Right. Right. Um, so, cause I don't want to say that arguments don't get you closer to the truth because I think they do. Right. Um, if they're done well, but the fact that no one seems to have come out and won the kind of like, even the new age atheism when they, or the new atheism, when they thought, you know, Christianity was dead, religion was dead. And what it seems to have done is just make people more, uh, I, so for me personally, the very strict dogmatic atheists types have never led me to question my faith because it's just so obvious that they're so closed minded that it's just not, that's not true of all atheists, right? But the kind of dogmatic ones. Yes. It's like, man, I just don't, it doesn't even appeal to me. Yeah, especially some of the big name, you know, we've talked about that. Or when we had, you know, David Smalley on the podcast, like things that new information that we know that he's experienced in our relationships with him, it's like Mm. it never happened. Like he's, Mm. he's still discussing arguments that that we engaged with and really that he even acknowledged were not great arguments a decade ago, they're still there. It's like they didn't penetrate. And I'm, I'd like to think I've got all new conversations 10 years later. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of it impacted by him, but you know, even what you said earlier about one of the things we discovered, I don't know if you've listened to those on this podcast yet, Mark, but it was intriguing that one of the things we discovered with him was him saying, that where he went to church and in his family, he wasn't allowed to ask questions like this. Right. Right. And you're like, wow, that just breaks your heart. So anyway, mm-hmm. that's part of what we're passionate about this podcast for is people learning to deconstruct their faith and then reconstruct is as a, in a healthy way anyway. Yes. But yeah, I agree with you. I feel like I'm, I'm always bummed when I read an atheist and I get excited about them. And then they start talking about, you know, Jesus is just one of the Egyptian gods, you know, plagiarized. And you're like, mm. no, no, it's not. We, we've got that research. That's been yeah. debunked. Why are you still there? That's but true. So, anyway, you, were, so you were saying then the dogmatic <clears throat> ones who are, you can, who are clearly closed minded, those aren't really shaking or, or don't really, yeah. Hold mm-hmm. a candle to your faith. Yeah. What, so, what were you, uh, yeah. To continue your thought, keep going. No, that's great. And yes, I would say, um, 
yeah, there's different like specific questions that have I've had to like deconstruct or think about. But Dad, you mentioned Jordan Peterson. I know you wanted to me to you wanted me to touch on this a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's kind of for our listeners if they don't know, he's a um, he is a clinical physician or uh, sorry, a psychiatrist, clinical psychiatrist um, with his PhD from Toronto, Canada, and he's a professor or was a professor in Toronto. I think, I don't know if he's still technically. Uh, I think he's a psychologist, not a psychiatrist. Just so uh, you know. Let me check. I think he is a psychiatrist. So clinical psychologist, and he's written a few books, um, but mainly his discussion unpacking biblical stories from the Old Testament in a psychological way is what partially made him go viral and made him explode into the public eye. So his his... His lectures on Genesis have like tens of millions of views. Um, and basically it's him for like two hours lecturing about the deep psychology of biblical texts. Um, he also became famous because he put his foot down and said, I won't abide by Canada's new laws, which are forcing speech on me. Right. And that speech was to use the correct pronouns for trans people. Um, so I think that's a that's a whole different debate that I've just wrote like a 30-page white paper on that we'll publish soon. But like, mm-hmm. um, regardless of where you stand on that, like he's even said, you know, maybe I will use pronouns for certain people, but the laws forcing me to say something is what he stood up against and said, I won't do it. Um, so since then, he's become huge. And so for a couple of years, he basically did a lot of videos and podcasts with great thinkers. So I went down what's called, you know, a rabbit hole and was uh, organizing Jim, Dr. Dennison's library of 7,000 books. And, uh, (laughs) and I was just listening to hour after hour after hour of Jordan Peterson's talks. And he truly is like an interesting intellectual because he does philosophy. Um, but he's a uh, he's a clinical psychologist, so he has a unique insight into things. Recently, he's become more of a voice of conservatism, so he's talked less on existential, personal questions, and has since started focusing more on policy and conservatism in general. Um, I kind of hit him in his philosophy stage. If that makes sense. And what it made me do was I knew he didn't believe in God, quote unquote, but he did believe in God as this kind of like, this is a standard for morality that we all need to believe in because it helps us live better lives. Mm -hmm. And so he was coming at it almost from a therapist's point of view. And to me, he gave a lot of good context to the Bible that was like really deep. Um, And so I was intrigued by it. And really what my wrestling came down to was, where do I disagree with him? Because it mm. seems to me that everything he says is so persuasive, I can't help but agree. Mm-hmm. And one of his beliefs is basically like, you know, his classic response, people would always ask him, do you believe in God? You know, like, what do you, do you believe in God? Yes or no? And he would say, what do you even mean by that question? Mm. Is what his response. I mean, he would be like, what do you mean God? Like, if I believed in God, do you mean that I behave as though God existed? And he said, if yes, then I try to, but the kind of weight that actually truly believing in God would bring to your life would be so overwhelming that it would be like impossible to uphold, basically. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know if he switched his views because recently he's been talking with Jewish rabbis uh, like and New Testament and Old Testament scholars of the Christian faith a lot, yep. um, having those conversations, which I haven't dug into a lot, but they seem interesting. Um, but I think he still maintains this kind of agnosticism about literally, quote unquote, whether God is real. Mm-hmm. And I think what I realized is my, you know, he would provide the same kind of psychological analysis of, um, oh, what was that movie? Um, Pinocchio. It, he was kind of made fun of this, but like he did like an hour long lecture on the psychology of Pinocchio. Yep. The movie. Yep. So in a way, he's treating the Bible with a lot of respect, like this is the most sacred document in the West. 
Yep. And this has a lot of wisdom to give us. <clears throat> but he's also doing something similar with Pinocchio. And so I think something to me that I opened my eyes was, this is where I disagree with him. I literally believe in a personal God. And two, I believe in the gospel, which is something that he doesn't really have a framework for. Um, so that's where I realized, mm. okay, I disagree with him there. And I began to see the need for the truth of the gospel in addition to his intellectual analysis of the Bible. Mm. Yep. So that's where I blinded. But that <laughs> was a lacking, but that was yeah, a challenge like, for you. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it wasn't easy. Because because that's a tough. I mean, when we read people like that and we respect them, yeah, and we have a high opinion of them, and they have at least at this stage reached a different <laughs> conclusion than us. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's understandably troubling. Yeah, for lack of a better word, because mm-hmm. it feels like I'm saying. I I am not as smart as this person, and yet I've reached a different conclusion, and that feels I don't know arrogant or something maybe mm-hmm. to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think every what I've found is helpful for listeners is everyone you get a source of information from will be wrong at some point. So great. I insight. think what I discovered was, you know, I I think that. Whether it's you, Dad, which you would be the first to admit, absolutely, or anyone else you respect, there will become a. If you don't, if you haven't had the moment where you say, "Wait, I think that's off," or "I think that's not right," if you haven't had that moment yet, then you will. And if you don't for a long time, that probably means you're like idolizing, or you're not really filtering it. Mm. Wow, and that's that's true of like theologians. That's true. You know, I don't know. Like I. I really love a theologian named N.T. Wright. Yeah. And, you know, um, I got on like a track with him where I was listening to him a lot. And I don't remember anything specific where I ended up saying I disagree. I mean, he's an Anglican, so I think there's some things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's very few things, but I think there's a couple of theological things we disagree on, you know, maybe right. um, infant baptism or something. Right. Um, but, yeah, I think like everyone you have to come to grips with in some way is going to be wrong. And yeah. that's where the humility comes into play. I think that's scary for people. Which is you interesting. Know what I mean? So I've said for years, yeah. uh, you know, I, you'll hear me say this, and I will say, I, I don't, you know, when I say, oh, you ought to go read, you know, for example, N.T. Wright's book about the Apostle Paul. I'm like, oh my gosh, this thing is so good. Isn't he the one who wrote the biography on Paul recently? Yeah, he, yep. he was. Yep. Yep. And I was oh, like, this so is good. this is brilliant. Now, I don't agree with everything he says. And then right. if you've ever heard me speak many times, you know that I have a little catchphrase almost there, like, I don't agree with everything he says, but then I don't agree with everything I say. <laughs> like, I I, have, yeah. I go back and listen to sermons and talks and read stuff I've written. I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. Or... No, that was a mistake. I actually, I told somebody it was a huge gift to me that in my Summa Theologica, the at seminary, my final big theological paper, I committed uh, what would be considered a heresy by me today. And yet I wrote it into my, my main theological final paper in seminary. So I got to start right off not having too much confidence in my own abilities um, to recognize, wow, I, I can, I can actually really argue something, defend something, and believe mm-hmm. something that, that just a few years later I would say, yeah, that was totally wrong, completely yeah. wrong. Yeah. And so that's again why we come back to deconstructing our faith in ourselves mm-hmm. is usually a healthy part of the process. Yeah. Uh, Mark, did I give you a copy of the low, uh, low anthropology, low anthropology. book? Anthropology. I, don't I know was if you just got... thinking about mentioning that. I've read it. It's fantastic. Is it? That, is, I knew it would be good. That guy's that. Um, wow, I'm just suddenly blanking on his name. He's someone who we're over, mm-hmm. that we want to have a uh, on the Zon. podcast. Zon. Yeah, exactly. Zon. Uh, and he's yeah, a we're great... gonna we're gonna have him later on next month. Okay, fantastic. And it's yeah. great. I thought it was so. It was such a great when I when I heard it. So I haven't got to read it yet, but I heard him teach the material mm-hmm. directly, and I was like, this. This is healthy deconstruction. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we'll, I'll be fascinated for us to get to hear his perspective on that. But that's what I was thinking, too, as well. So, Mark, kind of going back to your story and, you know, mm-hmm. obviously you and, and you know, your dad talking about this as well. 
you you seem to have a healthy relationship with doubt or or things that like might might call your faith or what you believe into question, but it's not an earth shaking thing. It's more like an exciting, oh, let's explore this um, kind of a thing where other people might be, I mean, legitimately scared and then, but then not move forward in that. When you were in college, did you find that a lot of people had the same mentality as you did as far as, you know, you're going through these philosophical differences that, if if you don't kind if you don't take an approach to or or like if your if your mindset is more of a fear based fearful i yep. can't ask these questions i can't you know i can't think through these in you know in a critical way hmm. i i just don't like is in in the philosophical sphere is that like if you come in as a christian Mm-hmm. And I know you went to a Baptist university, but still, did you find that a lot of people kind of had a similar mentality as you of like, Hey, we're, we're not going to, um, we're not going to leave this alone as far as our faith, but we are going to ask these hard questions. Or do you feel like this mentality is, is kind of rare? Well, I would say it's rare, but again, as you mentioned, I went to Baptist school and what I ended up doing, not on purpose, but mm-hmm. just naturally was my best friends were almost always creatives. Um, and so they were in graphic design, they were doing music, they were, um, and some of them, yeah, there, something else you have to remember at DBU was that the philosophy program was very small. And so a couple of people in there were my friends, but honestly, like, (laughs) we didn't really bond around philosophy that much. Um, I actually bonded around philosophy with people who weren't philosophy students. Yeah. Um, And yeah, all of them had really, I think good relationships with doubt. Like they were um, maybe not all of them had as much as many like boundaries where they, you know, I think I would be more committed to a, um, a orthodox position and not all of them were, um, but it was really great. I think if you surround yourself with those people, like they exist. Um, yeah. And I wish I had more chances to talk with people who did doubt, who in an unhealthy way, or who questioned their faith or who left their faith. Like I didn't get a chance to do that very much because of my schooling, mm-hmm. because of where I went to school and because of the friends I surrounded myself with. Um so I don't know if I answered your question, kind of like yes and no, I, but I think that probably very few people have a good relationship with doubt in college. It's just, I went to a Baptist school and all of my friends were Christians who loved to talk about those things. Yeah. So they That's, yeah. tended to have a good relationship with it. That's good. Bryn, do you have any, any thoughts? <clears throat> um, I just had a, like my passing thought was, um, I, I think it's so healthy to, Um, even if it's rare, just developing that, I mean, you naturally are an inquisitive person, but I think even for people who aren't developing that desire to seek truth and ask those hard questions, I think the younger the age that we develop that, and then if we're at an age where it's not as natural, um, to try to get back to that with humility, you know, Chris, you've said that the problem with, we've said this multiple times, but the problem with midlife crisis is we only have them, you know, we don't have them often enough. I think yeah, <laughs> early and early and often yep, have them early and often is what I tell That's people. So great. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> my, my husband and I were talking the other day about how often it seems like the older we get, if we are not conscious of this practice, um, mm-hmm. especially if it doesn't come naturally to us, we just become more and more set in the things that we think because it's comfortable. And sometimes there's a, a pride associated with it um, or laziness, like whatever mm-hmm. is there. And so I think, yeah, that was just a thought that I had of like the, the more often we can cultivate this mindset, I think is so healthy. And like you were saying, um, is, is a humility that, that we need our whole lives. And so mm-hmm. I don't know, that was just a thought of like, um, even if it's rare, I think it's something that, um, if it does come naturally, people should lean into it. And if it doesn't, it's something they should actively try to cultivate. Mm-hmm. Um, just that 
inquisitive mindset of asking hard questions. And of like Chris is saying, admitting like, yeah, I'm going to lean into seeking for truth, but I am also capable of being wrong at any point. And I think that mindset is mm. so healthy, but countercultural to our sin a lot of times, you know. Yeah. What an interesting comment, the so thought good. that it could be our flesh that sometimes makes us settle into an mm. unhealthy relationship with our, even with our own faith, that it's just laziness or fear or comfort that keeps us from or pride or pride <laughs> that keeps us from being willing to have the conversation. And I, I don't, I said before, I don't think it's healthy for everybody depending on their stage of where they are in their faith. Like it's not healthy for everybody depending on their stage to read a book by one of these leading atheists right? yet. Right. But the goal right. would be to get to a place in our faith where we're sophisticated enough, if you, if I can use that word, meaning the technical, the 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 mm-hmm. wise enough, um, Sophia, Sophia, that we're wise enough in our understanding that we can read it and go, okay, wow, there were three questions in there that I would have no idea how to answer, but rather than panic, <laughs> rather than right. panic and freak out, as Chris Sherry likes to say, like this may be my first time to ask this question, but I'll bet it's not the first time it's been asked. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so let me let me do some work and figure out and and it it is so comforting the first few times I know it's scary when you do that at first and you discover something and and you kind of had this I mean I've had it many times in my life where I have this sinking feeling of like if if that's true that mm-hmm. may undermine the most important thing in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. but okay, don't panic. If yeah. it's true, I still need to believe it. And change my life if that's what it requires. So calmly, let's dig into this. And then what happens is when I have, at least obviously in my life, discovered like, oh, like we'd some with, we talked about Chris shared, sometimes it's that he's like, oh, that's just like not factually true. Like, right. Mm -hmm. That just turned out to be inaccurate. Okay, good. I don't, (laughs) okay, I can let go of that. Um, Or you discover, Okay, that's an excellent point, but there's also been other brilliant thinkers who have worked through that. Yeah. And here's a, here's the conclusion they've reached. Mm-hmm. So um or there's an equally difficult question in the same category that goes the other direction. Yeah. Um and so anyway, it's just it's right. been fascinating and that's over time I've learned to love Almost, almost like an adre- a weird version of an adrenaline junkie, I guess, mm-hmm. to hear that question and go, oh, that's going to be so cool when I dig into that. And, yeah. and, and so far, as, as Billy Graham said, you know, the, the gospel is the anvil around which the hammers lay broken. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has certainly been my experience yeah. in life is that, mm-hmm. you know, I get, I now get fascinated when I think there's a new case for atheism mm-hmm. and I want to learn it. Um, because you know it's intriguing to me, and I, I don't, I don't, I no longer have a fear. Although I recognize it as plausible, yeah. I guess, or possible, maybe not plausible, but possible that there is going to be something that would change that view. But yeah, um, but if that's the case, then a God of truth would want me to change my, you know, the God who I worship would want me to believe the truth. Yeah, and that feels yeah. that feels weird and contradictory, but it's it's also super comforting, at least to me. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. So, yeah, and I just, yeah. Go, go ahead, ahead, Mark. No, no, you got it. Well, I was just gonna say, I I also think your comment about even if someone's an expert, like a, they can be wrong, and it doesn't mean that every aspect of their life they're right about things. And I think as a culture, we have a tendency to do that, where if someone's an expert in one area, that we think that they have true, like a you know, monopoly on truth in every area for some reason. Mm. You know, if someone even if they are a professional, you know, like, I mean, take the acting industry (laughs) or an an extreme example of someone is a professional in one way. Oh, they must have a handle on truth and all these other areas that they're speaking into. And that's like an extreme example. But I think we do that as culture. And I think it's even comforting to me and such a good reminder to hear that of even if someone is, is very intelligent, um, that doesn't mean that they are not wrong about things. And, um, and I think that was, um, such a wise statement. Yeah. Yeah. And go, there's, go there's it, like, as an example of that, I know you guys, are, and, and I'll, I'll say something else about this too, but 
you know, Richard Dawkins' God Delusion is a great example of that because he is a leading evolutionary biologist at Oxford. Right. Like, he is the real deal for that. Um, or even someone like Neil deGrasse Tyson. Like, I, I, I think he's the real deal, like in astronomy, like he, he's like legit. But like you said, we think that that has, but Richard Dawkins book, God delusion was a bit of an embarrassment to Oxford, I think, because yeah, it's publicly like it's, it was, it was made to be accessible for the average person. So to be fair, at the same time, there was like a quote I read recently of someone who knew Dawkins personally and he was like, I know for a fact that Dawkins reads very little philosophy and even less theology. Right. And like, mm. he, he doesn't know anything about, like, he's not an expert in theology or philosophy at all. Mm. And so the arguments he made in the God delusion, which led a lot of people to a certain conclusion, was just fallacious, like downright, obviously fallacious. Mm. Um, but a second thing is, I think that's part of why when we talk about deconstruction now, it's there's a there's a great saying. Um, I think I read this first in uh, a work by like Barna, the Barna Institute. The uh, I think it was like in the Gen Z book. I think you guys have even read it, right? The Gen Z book by Barna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So there's one quote where basically it says Gen Z confuses being judgmental with making judgments, mm. yeah. and that's so well said i think instead of being judgmental is wrong (laughs) but making judgments about truth or about the morality of something is not and the difference between those things uh has there's a lot of differences but it's just interesting for me to note that i think where people are rejecting their faith is not because they're attracted to a dawkins type atheism right it's not young people are attracted to an open-mindedness that says any judgments that are made um, can't overrule someone's own perspective, someone's like personal perspective, basically. Mm-hmm. And the part of that is because I think of the internet, there's so many, there's so much, you can basically shop for ideas forever yeah. on the internet. And so the question becomes so difficult, in fact, impossible to answer of different questions of truth that you just shrug and say, well, whatever works for you. So I think that is much more of the threat rather than, mm-hmm. you know, and the kind of hard line, hard nose atheism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a really good thought. Yeah. It is. <laughs> I, think I agree. It's a really good thought. I think a lot of people don't, I like, I think it's very often that you'll have someone who says, you know, that they were convinced by an argument by someone like a Dawkins or a Bart Ehrman or a Sam Harris. But then when you talk with them, I'm not convinced they've read the book. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Because they're not reaching the same conclusions. They don't mm-hmm. have the same cases. They don't have the same arguments. And I agree. I think that the Dawkins version of atheism is, prof- I would say, profoundly weak and not something that most people would be interested in if no. they knew what he believes and the consequences of it. Right. Um, right. You know, that's a, I, I agree with that. And I, I, I think though, you're right that the thought that being a Christian though, means you're judgment, you're judgmental right. and being an atheist means you're open-minded and that's as far as the conversation has gone. Therefore mm-hmm. I'm an atheist because, or an agnostic because, because I'm open-minded yeah. and open-minded. Who equals, am I, to, who am I to say that somebody else's opinion right, is exactly. wrong? And it's like, well, Right. I think you have a high opinion of everybody's opinion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's so true. Yeah. But and there's also like the the um the data bears out that young people are because you guys have read that book, like they are less religious, more spiritual. Yes. Like so it's not even that they're atheists. I don't think basically none of them would claim to be atheists. Like atheism has stayed very steady for a very long time. It's like Seven percent, like yeah, it's up a tiny bit, maybe like one percent or something, but it's pretty steady. But um, but irreligious has grown, um, and I think that's just because I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we could go down that rabbit hole as to why, but basically, just to state that and put it out there, I don't think that's a huge, as big of a threat. Um, you know, unless you're going into like sciences where that's that bias does exist, um, but. Yeah. 
Yeah, okay. Anything. I love that. Well, Mark, thank you for sharing your story. I really appreciate that. Um, there's some really good insight and I think will help people one, if they're parents or if they're people walking into seasons that, yeah. you know, where it's like, okay, the, the potential here for asking hard questions, maybe that you haven't gone through, uh, is high. And so I just think of a lot of people that I've talked to who are parents wanting to help their own children. Uh, it's really cool to hear like, okay, what are things that we can start doing now to cultivate this idea of hard questions aren't wrong. Um, and what is best is to search for answers. I think that's really good. What a great confirmation for us to to even hear some of that. And it's, we're, we're, I feel like that's becoming a pattern guys is this people who are allowed to engage with these hard questions in a way that the adults, the leaders, the teachers around them aren't afraid. That is, that is a high, at least in our limited, (laughs) our limited data set, that's been a high correlation yeah. um, for people who, who are holding fast in a time of when many people around them are deconstructing yeah. is, is that they've had the freedom to, to grow in their doubt and to face challenges and doubts in a healthy way. That's really good. And, and maybe in, in the next uh, episode, we can hear some more about the things that anchor Mark yeah, that anchor you to your faith. When you do have those, I think most of us have those that when we face those moments of like, uh, what if mm-hmm. that to go, yeah. okay, okay, what do I fall back on? Where do I find my, okay, but then I'd have to answer this and I don't have another answer for that. Yeah. So maybe we can come back yeah. to that next time. Super. Yeah. Sounds Thanks, good. Mark. That's been great. That's great. Thank you guys. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up. Trust God. Search for answers.